This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. So my son um, purchased this, uh, we call it a rice rocket where I'm from. I don't know if you can even say that anymore. Like, I'm not sure if that's offensive. I just, that's what we used to call it. So if I'm going to get canceled, I, I want to be canceled over something more than that. But that's, I just know it's very fast. And I know that it, uh, the, the speed of this engine is faster than the speed of his ability to make decisions, which is a little, do you know what I mean? At 16, it's just, it's just complicated. And so as of uh, Friday night, uh, Ethan has uh, l- begun to learn about local jurisdictions in law enforcement and, um, and uh, received a, uh, his citation. Um, now, he made it 30 days, 34 days after getting his driver's license before getting his first speeding ticket. Not bad when you think about it. Um, <laughs> All bets were off. We, I thought it was going to be a lot faster than that. I remember telling him, when you get this car, like you get pulled over in this car, right, Connor? You, you, they're not going to look at you and think, oh, he, he was accidentally speeding. We'll give you a break this time. They see that car and they think, that kid meant to be speeding. You, you were meant to be what you're doing. There is no mercy for you. But what he also learned about that day was uh, jurisdiction. Uh, because he was on uh, the Natchez, which is not a good place. Young people, can I speak to you honestly? Don't open it up on Natchez. Speed limit's what, 45? So when he hits 60, whatever that was, closer to 70 than 60, um, a, uh, a federal park enforcement officer pulls him over, which means he's a federal criminal. What you mean? He literally... <laughs> He could be taken to D.C., right, and, and, and put in one of those things next to Ted Gazinski or something. He's a federal criminal. Um, or I guess he'll just mail the, the check. But he, it was like, he was like, I didn't even know that like, a park ranger could do that. I thought, you know, of course, how kids, you get these rumors in your head. Well, they can't even do anything to you on the Natchez. There's never anybody up there on the Natchez. Like, yeah, I bet that sounded really good in your WhatsApp conversation, but that's not true. So, but what he learned, uh, we, had a, we had a good civics lesson, which is that that is a federal road, right? Which means the ruler of that road is not uh, Williamson County or Franklin. Now, had he have opened it up on Highway 96, uh, he could not have been pulled over by a park ranger because, or park enforcement officer, rather, because that's not their jurisdiction. That's important for what we're talking about because Paul's literally talking about sin being a ruler in this world, but not your ruler, right? So he could have come flying under uh, Highway 96, uh, under the bridge, and just kept going, and they couldn't have stopped him because they have no authority over him on Highway 96. And what he is saying here with Paul is that sin has authority in this world, but not authority over you. And that's a pretty big lesson for us from the book of Romans that is well worth us learning. And if you've got it to Romans 6 at this point, I'm going to read the entire chapter to you. The reading of God's word, uh, powerful. This is not just some academic exercise. This is God's word for us. 
And he starts out with verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Paul making that statement is a very fascinating statement because the Jewish tradition, baptism was for cleansing. The, the, the baptism of John, for instance. Why, why would we need the baptism of Jesus? The baptism of John was for cleansing. The baptism of Jesus was for identification because you're identifying with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We were, verse four, therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with him that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ was raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Man, anybody that's my age or older, especially, you look back and that, that you're like, oh man, that hits different at 50 than it did at 20. Those things you used to do that now you're ashamed of, what good did that do? 
Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us insight today from your word? Uh, You promised that it would be the lamp, it would be the light for our feet, and we believe, uh, just ask for that today, Lord, just ask for you to give us that kind of clarity uh, in a world that's dark, feels dark, your word is a light, and I pray that it will shine brightly in us here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul asks probably the most obvious question. If you are saved by grace, not by works, which is what he just spent five chapters explaining, why not keep on sinning? Now, if you understand grace the way that he's presenting it, this is actually a very reasonable question. I might say it's the only question. Like, why would the teaching of chapter one through five inspire us to do anything different than what we're already doing? And that's the question he's asking. And he spends this chapter unpacking, answering the question of why, you know, he says, by no means, which is, I think, the NIV version for, oh, 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 Lord, no, don't do that. That's dumb. Don't do that. And he says it pretty clearly. I'm going to break it into three parts. He talks about it, our identification with Christ. He talks about what it looks like when we present ourselves to Christ. And he talks about the fact that we are sanctified, sanctification by Christ. So that's the the order we're going to go in this morning. The identification with Christ, which is those first few verses, is the identity is who who are we? Like, who, what is the identity that he has given us? We, we just talked about that during worship. In verse 5, let's, say, let's just start there. He says, for we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That word, by the way, is actually a horticultural word. In fact, if you've got a, 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 a King James, if you've got, I think, Broadman Holdman, there's a couple other translations that actually say planted with Christ. Like it's, you're in the roots with him. And it means that, here's what it means, it's almost too good to be true. Your past, his past, is your past. His future is your future. When you start planting something at the roots, I'm not talking about like grafting in, we're gonna talk about that when we get into chapters eight, nine, and 10, but this is literally like he has planted you inside. It has literally changed your identity. You are now united with him, and which is why he uses this language of being baptized, so your old self is dead, like you're not that person anymore, you're someone new. And when you have an identity, like whatever that identity is, if you present your identity as a, as a soccer player, you're going to look and act like a soccer player. When my son bought his whip, I remember Micah Tiemann saying something along the lines of, that's exactly the kind of car that I thought Ethan would get. Which, by the way, was news to me. 
uh, I was thinking something uh, very responsible, very Honda, very, you know, whatever, and, and he, he got a Honda. He just got a, you know, different one than I would have gotten. But, but here's the thing. He's, Ethan is a car guy. Now, he don't know much about cars, but he wants to, and he's a car guy. And so when he goes to car guy things, he's presenting himself as a car guy because that's his identity. But this identity here is actually deeper than that. This identity is the, the identity that actually is born inside of our very souls, inside of us. The identity of who we are literally moves how we behave. And if you doubt that for a second, do you wonder why ad companies are searching the internet for what you're purchasing, for the kinds of items that you're doing? Because what they're looking for is your behavior based on your identity. Political polling, have you heard the term identity politics? If they can find out your identity, who you identify as, they can guess with pretty good certainty how you're going to vote. Your identity really does drive how you're going to behave. And your identity starts way deeper than the front of your mind. And what he is saying here is that your identity, the best thing to do with this identity that is, that is wrecking your life, this identity that keeps making you make dumb decisions, the, key, the, the identity that is causing the, the, the wreck in your marriage, the, the, the trouble that you're having, keeping it together, that identity, he says that's a dead identity in Christ. Baptized, buried, resurrected someone new. To put it a little differently, um, this is a family that one of the many families that we have set free from slavery. This was from May of 2021. This was their life every day for 20 years for the dad, for the children born into it. Now, one day, one of our pastors shows up, pays the bill, and they're free. Now, the ruler over them was the brick kiln. He no longer has that authority over them any longer. But the identity of slavery can still influence them even after they're free. Their physical situation has changed. Now their spiritual situation has to grow. Biblically speaking, we call it sanctification. It's just moving the needle from this identity that I had. Because look, if you lived your whole life as a slave like this, and that's how you saw yourself, you make decisions just based on your identity. But you're no longer a slave to a brick kiln owner. He's telling us you and I are no longer a slave to sin. And so when you wake up in the morning, we have a choice to make of whether we're going to live according to the old way, the way that wasn't working out for us, or whether we're going to. And I love the fact that he's selling fruit. Because what does the Bible tell us that are the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's what we get to do now as identity in Christ. And what is the identity? Like, this is, 
this is no small thing. <laughs> and by the way, when you talk about this stuff with people who especially live in a caste system, who live in an honor-shame culture, um, for instance, in, in China, when you uh, toast someone and there's a cheers, one of the things that they will do if you are wanting to honor somebody or someone is of a higher uh, level than you, you hit your glass lower on their glass according to where you are in their society. Now, that sounds like ugh to us, but let me tell you what, when they hear this, they actually understand it differently than we, we do because what they understand now is that what, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter three, chapter two, that raised us, this is God speaking, Ephesians chapter two, verse six, that we were raised up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that you and I are not in a brick kiln anymore. We are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. That means if we're sitting next to Jesus and we are toasting each other, our glasses unbelievably, miraculously are even, not lower. And Paul is saying, why would you want to go back to being a slave again and acting like that when you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? He went to way too much trouble for me to just go back making bricks. Funny that the same language that's used when Israel was set free from Egypt, what were they doing? Making bricks. <laughs> and Jesus set them, God miraculously set them free from that, and he has miraculously set you free from that. And so our journey of sanctification is acknowledging that sin is not my Lord, sin is not my ruler, he is, I am not, the brick kiln is not my master, and then the work of the gospel is now moving the identity in my heart to match the reality of where my identity is in Christ. Identifying with him in death, in burial, and in resurrection because you are not dead. You are alive to live the way that he... I mean, how dare we cower in fear? How dare we like pull back? When we have the king of the universe, we're seated with him in heavenly places. And some of you right now might be feeling a little bit of shame. Because you're like, but Darren, I've been trying to quit this forever. I've been trying to quit this. Up. We're going to get to Romans 7, okay, next week. And I got a spoiler alert for you. Romans 8, verse 1, just spoiler. I don't want to ruin it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So you shake that off. <laughs> the gospel is shame off you, not shame on you. So let's just wash the shame uh, off right now. Because once you've identified with him and that becomes your identity, we have this opportunity now to present ourselves to him, offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness. You have an opportunity every day to offer yourself to hours and hours of doom scrolling on the internet. You have your opportunity to offer yourself to go to the TikTok. Anybody know about the TikTok? <laughs> apparently, thank you, I've not actually ever, ever had this happen, but apparently there's a point in TikTok 
where, and don't raise your hands because I don't want to know if it's you or not. Uh, you get to a point, am I right about this, Ashley, where you get to a point and then some guy goes, hey, you've been here too long, you gotta go. Yeah, that's actually a thing. Like the TikTok knows that. Don't you even, even TikTok says you've been on here too long. So at some point, put that log on the fire, right? Of things that are like, I'm just like, I need to burn this because it's not, I'm offering myself as an instrument, not of righteousness, but of just nothingness. You literally have an opportunity every day. I don't know how many, I don't know how many days we're going to get in this life. I don't know. But wouldn't you rather wake up tomorrow and offer yourself as an instrument of righteousness and not of unrighteousness. What is that for you personally? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit will show you. And I love what JT said. This is a great way to live. I was thinking about you, Rhonda, right? At some point, here's just a mom from Brentwood saying, hey, I'm going to go to Honduras and fix it. That's not exactly how you said it, but. (laughs) One child at a time. Do you regret any of it? Not at all. Now look, I don't know that Jesus needs us to start any more nonprofits or 501c3s or .orgs. We can get caught up in all trying to do the big and then miss what's right in front of us. I don't know that JT thought 14 years ago, hey, we're going to start this big organization. All he saw was a family that needed some help, and we're going to do it right now. Don't let yourself get caught in the tyranny of the big and the overwhelming. Just do the next dadgum right thing in front of you and follow Jesus as an instrument of righteousness. The last thing I want to do, because what I've just explained to you could actually look a lot like I'm now building a new religion of works and just doing really great things. But I want to show you here that you presenting yourself to Christ as an instrument of righteousness is not a religious thing at all. Because even the sanctification that's happening in you is not done by you, but done by him. He says it right here in these very last few verses in the sanctification by him in verses 13, uh, or sorry, 19, 20, 21. But he says, I'm using this 19 as an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just don't, don't miss that. I'm using this to, the, to Rome. Your everyday life. He's talking about slavery. You understand that in America, the, the, the last few hundred years where we have not experienced slavery here is the exception to human history, not the rule. For whatever reason, we have been in this world, and I would suggest that it was because of Judeo-Christian principles, and if you want to debate that, I strongly recommend you read a book by Tom Holland called Dominion, which speaks about how Christian, Judeo-Christian values got rid of slavery. It brought equality with women. It's a whole different thing, but I just want to say that Judeo-Christian principles brought this, but he's saying this is from their everyday life because in Rome... Slavery was just normal. And here's the thing. 
People drive by brick kilns in Asia all the time who are believers, who love the Lord, who are good people, whatever, and they don't think anything of it because it's just normal. It's from their everyday life. But for some reason, God has allowed us to have a picture of that to say, even that we can even understand it just kind of now because we're getting to set some of these slaves free. But Paul was saying, this is, just an ex- this is from your everyday life. So from these folks, their everyday life, they understood slavery, and he's saying, I'm using this example because of your human limitations, but just as you offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Now, we're using the word slave, and now I'm going to offer myself as a slave to this other thing. Because what I want is freedom, right? That's really what we're talking about. Now, if you define freedom as getting to do whatever you want, when you want, for as long as you want, that's not freedom, that's a prison. No, no, true freedom isn't getting to do whatever you want. True freedom is being able to do exactly what you were designed to do. That's freedom. Freedom is that I don't have to do this other stuff that I wasn't designed to do that's wrecking my life. True freedom is I'm doing exactly what I was designed to do, and when I step into that freedom, that's freedom. Everything else is chaos. And if you don't believe me, take a trip with me to Place of Hope on one afternoon, and I can introduce you to 35 people on any given day who thought freedom was doing whatever they wanted as long as they wanted, and eventually they became, as Paul says, obedient to their own sin, obedient to their own evil desires. It's called addiction. It didn't, it was not freedom. It was a prison for them. But listen, that said, what does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? I lived a lot of my life not being a slave to righteousness, but a slave to holiness. He doesn't say, right, to be a slave to holiness that leads to righteousness, He says, be a slave to righteousness, and that leads to holiness. Now, that is not a small distinction. Because a slave to holiness means, I got the the list of do's and don'ts back out again. A slave to holiness is, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I've got the list. And the, the, The Pharisees, the Jewish people, man, they were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things. The list just kept growing because they were trying to be a slave to holiness and it did not lead to righteousness. It led to misery and abuse and religion. So what does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? You and I, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. A slave to righteousness is being a slave to Jesus. He is the righteous one. Now think, Jesus gave up infinitely everything. He gave up infinity itself. He gave up his kingdom to come to be a servant. Now we use the word servant because the NIV doesn't want to be offensive, but it means a slave. Same word. He came to be a slave to us. John 17, the last night of his life before he was crucified, 
Did he curl up in a ball? Did he milk it for all the pity that he could get? Because I promise you that's what I'd have done. No, it says he took off his cloak and he bent down and he served his disciples by washing their feet. You see, in this world, we're, we're going to be a slave to something. It's just true. It's just the way we're wired. And I promise you, if you're a slave to your career, your career would not die for you. Your bank account will not give up its life for you. Your college education will not die for you. But if you are willing to offer yourself to the one who offered himself to you, do you understand how different that is than offering yourself to anything else? Because he already proved that he loved you. He proved that he's good. He proved that this thing that you need to serve and to, to get meaning and purpose in his life, this is one that's not going to destroy you. This is one that's going to exalt you. You know, the lie from the beginning of time in the garden to Adam to Eve was he's holding out on you. If you do everything he says, if you, if you do what he says, if you're obedient to God, which all this God was asking him to do is, hey, just do what you were designed to do, be who you were designed to be. And he's saying he's holding out on you. And I think our hesitation in offering ourselves as a slave to righteousness to Jesus is somewhere inside we might still have that same thing. If I just give it all and lay it out and I just offer it all out to him, he's holding out on me, which means I hold back from him. But I can tell you with 50 years of life experience that those moments now when I've learned to, be, to move the needle to become a slave to righteousness, that that leads to holiness. And when I say holiness, for the most part, most people will think something along the lines of all the movies we can't watch anymore, uh, the Pentecostal holiness. Remember the Pentecostal holiness churches? Anyone been around those? You can't even have windows because there's no holiness in that. Like, again, the, the holiness becomes this whole set of rules and regulations, but holiness, it, it, this is an oversimplified, but I don't want to overcomplicate it either. It just means complete. If my wife brings me a coconut cream cake for my birthday, which is my love language, it's the sixth love language, but there's a giant wedge out of it, that cake is not holy. That is an unholy cake. <laughs> because it's not complete. <laughs> becoming a slave to righteousness leads to you and I becoming holy, becoming complete, becoming exactly who we were designed to be. All these debates happening in our world about whether you can do this or can, you know, and you know, teenagers especially, they're trying to figure out how far can we go. And I, I feel like let's get rid of all of those questions and get, get, is it holy or not? Let's go back to the Father. Let's go back to righteousness. And the question isn't whether I should do this or shouldn't. The question is if I'm a slave to Jesus and to his righteousness, what would he want me to do? That's such a better question 
then can I get away with it or not? And the last thing I need to say, because I need to get you out of here, is that when you're a slave to righteousness, it leads to holiness. And it simply means that it's Christ and Christ alone and his power that can lead you to holiness. Because it was Jesus who gave up everything to a point where he's now on a cross. He has been stripped naked. He has been crucified. He's been whipped. And he's, but at some point, the thing that was even greater than the pain and the physical pain was that he said, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was made, careful not to misunderstand what I'm saying here, made unholy so that we could then be made holy. Jesus was now missing the Father from his life. Because think about it, other, there have been other martyrs that have died and died worse deaths, but for something about Jesus was worse than even that. And it was worse because for the first time in his life, the father was separated from him. Jesus wasn't complete on the cross. And when he allowed that to happen, he descended, right, that he might ascend and take us with him. That is the righteousness of God in Christ because he did that for us. Now we can be made whole. We can be made complete in him. And that's the gospel because you're not going to do it on your own. You can't. You won't. You never will. But he can and did and will continue. That's the gospel. Stand to your feet. And I pray for you today, Jesus, would you make that real in our hearts? Lord, would you, uh, Lord, would you just make that gospel, that good news, that you, giving your life, being stripped away from your wholeness, allowed us now to be made righteous, to be made holy and complete. And for brothers and sisters in here today, that that's not where they might not feel that or where they are right now, Lord, would you begin to speak to them in their own hearts and to Holy Spirit draw them into you today. That they might cry on you and to... Uh, Lord, that they might cry on you, cry out to you, and receive what you gave so that they can stand in the same righteousness that we stand in. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.